Welcome back to Agent Investor, inspiring stories of active agents investing in real estate and building passive income. In a business where potential deals are all around you, why not leverage your skills to invest for yourself, your family, and your future? And now, let's jump into the latest episode of Agent Investor. Welcome back to the Agent Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Caffarella, and I've got a very, very special guest on today, a guest that's actually one of my coaches, Bill Han. Bill, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So um, Bill has actually, did you re- just release the book or did you, or is it in the process of being released? Right. It's written in the process of being released. Uh, yeah. Creative Cash. Yeah. And it comes out February 9th. So about I, get one of those, I get one of those too. Mine's not going to be out until like July or August, but I'm, I'm actually dragging Excellent. my butt on all of the final things that uh, they need to be done. But before we, we jump into talking about the book, can you just give the listeners kind of like a high level overview sure. of where you've come from, what you're doing and, and, um, stuff like that. Absolutely. Yeah. I've uh, been in real estate uh, coming up on 16 years now, a little over 15 years. Um, I started off as a corporate pilot, was flying airplanes and realized that as a pilot, I was really pretty much just a a glorified limo driver. You know, it was really important uh, when I was flying the airplane, not so important when the airplane was on the ground. And that actually turned out to be a whole lot more of the job than I realized. And so uh, I wind up uh, studying real estate for a while, for about a year. It took me about a year of just reading and, and going through books and things. So I got my very first deal. My very first deal was a duplex. Um, I had saved up $10,000, all the money I had. And the duplex was cash flowing about 300 bucks. And I walked away from the full-time aviation career with 10 grand, 300 bucks and figured out real estate on the fly. Um, for better or for worse, a lot of failures, a lot of successes, a lot of back and forth. And uh, over time, I got it right, um, figured it out. I flipped houses, started in single family, stayed in single family for about three years of my career. Um, flipping was a lot of it. And then I started to build a portfolio of single family rental houses. And then over time, the assets just started getting bigger and bigger. Um, I did not go into large uh, commercial property where I'm at now, but I did not go straight into larger assets. Uh, very humble beginnings, um, houses, pretty tough neighborhoods. My first sort of real multifamily was a 10 unit, not even a very big property. And then I did a 20 unit and then a 27 unit and then 44 and then so on and so forth until I got into some larger ones. So a very basic beginning, nothing particularly uh, unique. Um, the only thing I can really say claim to fame was uh, I, I did my first 402 units with only creative financing. Yeah. Meaning I, I did not walk into a bank, sit down, qualify for a mortgage, put down 20% and buy the, the asset. Uh, I did refinance into bank loans. And we can talk about that. But I did not close the initial purchase uh, with traditional financing for, for about 402 units. Yeah. And so, um, you know, one of the things that I, I'm you know writing about in my upcoming book is kind of, you know, what are the major things that stop agents from investing or stop agents who invest a little bit from kind of investing a lot. And, you know, I have a list of kind of all of the the top kind of like five or six reasons why agents want to get into investing, but they don't. And number one, 
and there isn't even a close number two. Like there's two, three, four, five, and six, right? Like I don't want to, you know, fix toilets or deal with this or deal with that. But the number one is I don't have the capital. I don't have the cash. And, you know, for most people, what ends up happening is it's like a delay game. It's like, okay, like I'm 100%, especially for agents, because agents see it every day, right? They have clients that are buying multifamilies. They have clients that are flipping houses. They, they see how profitable it can be. And so for most of them, it's in their head, like I'm going to invest someday, but I can't right now because I don't have the money. Right. And um, so that's why I wanted to bring you on today because, um, you know, you had mentioned how many units again with, with no money? Four, well, 402 with no traditional financing. Yep. So 402, and, and that's important because again, that's for, you know, most people, you said to them, hey, how many units would you be happy with? Most people are going to say like 20 or 30 or 40 or 50. Sure. So, so pretty much for almost every single person who's listening right now, they'd be pretty, pretty excited to have over 400 units without traditional financing. Yeah. So talk a little bit about, about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, lots of different comments. Um, when I say creative financing, in, in the, the main focus of my book, Creative Cash, is on seller financing and master lease options. We, we, there's lots of different techniques that we can use. And I've, I've funded real estate all the way from using credit cards to line of credit to you know, seller financing, lease options, all this type of stuff. Um, it works better in certain market cycles. And that's one of the big things that uh, we have to understand as real estate professionals is the market cycle, real estate cycles, you know, it goes up and down, up and down, depending, it, it kind of follows the national economy, more or less. But just generally speaking, um, we go through through market cycles. At the moment, we're in a very uh, inflated cycle. You know, the, the real estate world and the economy has been great over the last five or so years. Now, I understand we're in 2021, 2020 was a bit weird, but forget the COVID conversation, the real estate market has been pretty inflated over the last six, seven years coming out of that last recession. Therefore, creative financing has not been very prevalent. So you're several comments. You're not going to find a lot of material out there online about lease options and seller financing. There's not a lot of people teaching it because they don't know how to do it. There's not very many books on it because it's not been a prevalent subject over the last seven years, but it's about to be. And the reason that it's about to be a very prevalent subject is debt. Debt always leads a recession. Debt starts to pull back. Um, and, and if you guys are realtors, you're going to start finding the uh, funding of your assets is going to get harder and harder for your clients, uh, number one. And, and we can discuss how my material works for realtors uh, as in the position of a realtor and as a, a private person trying to invest. Um, but it's going to work real, really well over the next two, three, four years going forward. As lenders pull back, and assets become distressed, sellers will have a unique problem and that's selling an asset that's not performing at its highest peak. And a lender then saying, fine, we'll, we'll give you a loan at a considerably less loan to value. Now we're already talking about not having enough money to buy real estate. That's only gonna make the problem worse because now you're gonna have to bring even more money down, which lowers cash on cash and cash flow. And then we kind of have a neg negative circular pattern to the issue of debt pulling back. And then that exacerbates the problem of slightly distressed assets really taking nosedive in value because there's no funding. That's when we're gonna use creative financing to start to get those deals done. And, and I'll, I'll make even a sidebar here. Anybody that's a realtor listening to this right now, you may be trying to get into real estate yourself and that's great. 
my techniques and my book will also show you how to bridge the gap between a client that may be a seller of yours that has a slightly distressed asset and a buyer that's trying to get funding but may not be able to qualify for traditional financing. So this is exceptionally valuable for realtors because this is going to be ways that not only are you going to invest in your own real estate, but you may be able to help your own listings and your own clients as debt starts to get a little bit distressed. And if you understand lease options, seller financing, you'll be able to sort of bridge the gap uh, between a buyer and a seller. Because um, that's one of the biggest ways I even find deals for creative financing, seller financing is through realtors. My number one way of finding deals is through realtors. But there are a few tricks in there. Yeah. So what we talk about, like in my book and, and on these podcasts all the time is every time we talk about things like that, the way I look at it is like, these are all tools. And you can use tools for yourself or you can use tools for your clients. And so even if you if you said to us, hey, like, I don't want to do any of this myself, which I think you're crazy if you don't want to invest in real estate as an agent. But OK, let's just say that you say you're not going to. It's also a way to help your clients, which obviously is going to get you more deals. And especially like Bill was alluding to when when things start to change and the same old stuff doesn't work anymore the person who kind of is positioning themselves as, hey, I can do these type of deals um, is the one who's going to get a ton of extra business, especially if you're targeting and working with investors. Right. Um, Go ahead. Yeah, you brought up a point about not having enough money to invest as a general concept. What everybody listening has to understand is what is money in its concept? Well, the, the founding concept of money is really just cooperation. You know, if, if you take dollars and cents out of any transaction, what's left is just two people or two groups cooperating with each other to come to some sort of common goal. Well, if you don't have any money, like I didn't when I got started, then you have to figure out ways to be valuable, right? And if we can figure out ways to be valuable, i.e. solve problems, then money takes a backseat to creativity. Money takes a backseat to the ability, the ability to solve problems. This is how I got started in real estate. I'd go around and find somebody that had a, an issue, figure out a way for me to become valuable to that seller and then exchange that value for their real estate. And money had nothing to do with it. And so that's why I want everybody to not have that limiting point of view that dollars and cents control your life. If you believe they do, they do. And I'm telling you, they don't have to. You can figure out other ways to get into real estate by, by using problem solving uh, value add type offers, as opposed to saying, I have no money, therefore I can't invest. That's a, a terrible point of view. And uh, money really has nothing to do with anything in the grand scheme of, of business. So when you're talking about tools, you're talking about seller financing and lease options, right? As the two tools. The, the major ones. Yes. There's lots that I cover lots of different techniques in the book, but I would say that seller financing and lease options are probably about 80% of creative financing in, in the average world. Yes. So you know, I think the thing, the, the question that would be kind of asked with, with seller financing is like, what's in it for the seller? Like, okay, I'm the buyer. I want to do a deal with little to no money down. Now, why would the seller ever entertain something like that? How is it a win-win for that person? It's a, it's a great point. That actually brings me to uh, the, what I call the SPY technique. Um, and it's an acronym and it stands for Seller Property You. That is the order in which you need to learn to analyze deals. So most people make the mistake. They sit down and they kind of take the point of view you're taking now. They sit down and say, what do I need as the buyer? Well, I have no money. I want no money down. I want this. I want that. And then they look at the property and they say, okay, what's wrong with the property? Maybe the property needs some work. Maybe some deferred maintenance. 
And then lastly, they stop and think about the seller and they say, okay, what does the seller want? Well, that's a mistake because you have to understand in real estate that a, a good deal is probably 90% seller, 10% real estate. You can have the best deal in the whole wide world. If you have a seller that's not willing to do business or not willing to negotiate or want some kind of unreasonable price, the real estate in, in your desires are irrelevant. You know, So we, most of the time we're focusing in the wrong direction. And that's why I created this acronym. And so what you want to do is start with the seller and understand that that's 90% of the deal right there. What does the seller want? Why are they selling? Where are their pain points? Are they a burned out landlord? Are they worried about taxes? Um, do they not have enough cash to actually go in and do the repairs to the property that may be falling behind in its needs? That's a biggie. Um, you know, is the asset of the tenant stopped paying rent? We're, we're seeing that right now being COVID affected. Uh, if the debt service, if we're talking about a rental property, uh, more than one or two units, the lender is going to look at what we call the debt service ratio. You know, how does the income of this property service the loan? Well, as that number falls, Lenders just start lowering loan to value. So these are all problems that a seller can have that are not created by the buyer nor the realtor. All right. So now we have a seller who's got issues, maybe a property that has some deferred maintenance or, or you know, physical needs as well. How can we create an offer that solves these? And that's exactly what I teach in the book is, is how to solve that question of why would a seller do this? Well, they wouldn't if they don't have a problem. If you can't bring value to that seller in some manner, they won't. They flat won't. And that's why I'm saying over the last several years, we've not really seen a lot of seller financing, creative financing, these options, because if a seller had a problem, chances are they could call up a realtor, stick the property on the market. They're going to get asking price, maybe even better. The rising tide has just floated all boats and covered most problems. When the market shifts in the opposite direction, led by lenders pulling back and not funding as much, that problem becomes hyper-exposed then. Now there's not money everywhere. There's just not buyers everywhere uh, you know, willing to pay whatever for, for real estate. That issue of repairs, uh, the landlord being burned out, maybe the debt surfacing being low, becomes a deal-killing issue now. That's when creative financing steps in. And that's in this new, new market shift. Those uh, who learn these tools, as you, you pointed out, Tom, that's a, a great point. They're tools you're going to have a lot more strategies for closing deals. And I do want to kind of make, you know, reiterate that point you mentioned of these things being tools. They are tools, plural, not the only tool. I don't want anybody out there to think, hey, I've got to do all seller financing or I want to go out and find only lease option deals. No, that's terrible. Mm -hmm. Look at deals exactly the way you always look at deals. Hey, if that deal makes money and the, and the numbers are good and the profit's good, then go to the bank, get a loan, buy it, be done with it. If the asset is distressed and then you can create some value, then we move to creative techniques. So basically what I'm saying is uh, creative techniques are only going to increase probability. Mm. I find that we close probably one in 80 deals in multifamily. We'll close about one in 80 that we typically analyze. All I'm saying is, but that's with the point of view of just going in and getting a loan, putting some money down, buying a property. I'm saying, hey, if that doesn't work for you, here are several other techniques that you can broaden your deal analysis to include other assets that otherwise would have just fallen out and you said, hey, that's a bad deal. I'm not interested. Whoa, whoa, hold on. Let's pull it back out of the trash, apply a couple of creative techniques. If those don't work, okay, it's really a bad deal. Move on. This just increases probability. And this is going to be for, for buyers as well as sellers 
as well as you all as realtors in the middle trying to broker the, the difference between the two. You can use these techniques uh, to get a lot of deals done. So how does the deal kind of typically look? I know that, you know, in real estate, you can, two people can agree to anything. So a buyer and a seller can say whatever they want. And if, if they're both happy with it, they both agree to it fine. But like, what do they kind of typically look like overall with seller financing or lease options? Yeah, typically speaking, generally speaking, you as the buyer are going to give on price and take on terms. So to get something done creatively, we kind of have to be willing to give some sort of part, some half of the equation. What I have found is sellers tend to be more sensitive of the overall price than the terms that, that are underlying. So let's just say seller financing, for example. Um, you may wind up giving asking price for that property, but getting interest only payments for a few years. You may give asking price plus a dollar. Mm -hmm. but you may only put out 10% or you may get some other type of term that allows the monthly payment to be low enough that you can go in and take care of the asset and bring the property up to speed. Um, so that's kind of a general answer. Just be, don't think that you're going to steal assets on the price and the terms and everything else. Remember that's, that's moving away from the spy technique. We must create value for the seller or they're not going to do it. So the idea is that you go in um, get the deal under control with as little money as possible, mitigate whatever the distress is that stopped you from going to the lender and, and traditional financing and just getting the loan in the first place. We bring the asset up, then refinance, sell, exit in some manner and clear our seller in a short amount of time. So it's not a technique that's meant to have a seller be on the hook for the next 10 years as a lender. It's, it's a technique or techniques that are meant to be a short term solution to a distressed asset where we're sort of partnering with the seller to solve the seller's problems and our problems, which is getting into the deal. So, again, probably going to be given on price. Um, you're, you're going to be getting interest only payments, things like that. Interest rate probably going to be market rate or a little bit better, uh, you know, a little bit higher than market rate to attract a seller. Down payment could be a little bit less. Um, one technique we might want to use if we're talking about seller financing is to uh, swap out down payment money for money that you're going to spend on the property. So, Tom, if I come to you and you say, hey, here's a house, uh, you know, $200,000 for the house, fine, but I've got uh, $100,000 worth of renovations to do to it. I may not want to put down a down payment and then bring extra cash to renovate your property. So what I might do is say, hey, Tom, you give me seller financing, I'll put the money in escrow. You, you see that it exists, I see that it exists, everybody's safe, but I'm gonna use that money to fix up your property and, and then we'll sell it or then I'll, I'll go to the bank and get a traditional loan. And by the way, if I default and you take that property back, you get to keep all the repairs that I did. So it's a win. That's how you want to kind of create that win-win and problem-solving offers for sellers. Be very, very focused on our sellers when we're trying to do uh, creative financing and a lot less on ourselves. That's how uh, you bring service and that's how you bring value. And that's how you get these deals done. And I think another thing that's kind of underlying in, in this discussion, you know, related back to the tools and, you know, getting a higher percentage of deals closed is like this, this pitch isn't going to, service all sellers, right? So I think Correct. one thing to think about with this is that, you know, I don't know the numbers, but I can I can guarantee that this is a numbers game 
I have gone out, you know, met with sellers, proposed different types of things. And um, when you do that, it's a matter of, again, finding the right person. And Bill had mentioned kind of the market being a big, you know, role to it. Um, seller financing can be done today. It can be done in a seller's market. It can be done in any market. Um, but it's going to be a lot more common when the sellers have less options. So regardless, um, what would definitely change between now and say we were at the, the very, very bottom of the market cycle is that you're going to get a bigger percentage of sellers that are going to be interested in various terms than you would today. Because again, like Bill mentioned, you know, what, what's the objective of a seller and you're thinking seller first? Well, a seller wants always the most amount of money for their property and the best terms, right? They, they want, you know, no financing. If you come in cash, no contingencies like we do with a lot of our offers and top dollar, well, yeah, like no one's going to think, well, hold on, uh, you know, Tom offered me, you know, full value for my property. He's going to close cash. There's no contingencies, no nothing. And somebody offers me the same exact price, but with seller financing, then I'm going to do seller financing, right? So it becomes a numbers game, you know, in both cycles, you know, in the seller's market, you've probably got to talk to a lot more sellers and use these different tools to get them to say yes. In the down market, a bigger percentage are going to say yes. And I know even me, like going back to when I first started, I started in a down market. And, um, you know, you would meet with sellers. I, I remember this and they would just literally say like, you know, like I'm, I'm done with the property when we were at the, and this is just talking about greater Boston where I do business. A lot of sellers, I'd meet with them like, Hey, I can't sell my house. I don't know what to do. Like, I'm just willing to walk away. And, and, and this was at the very, very bottom. This is like 2009, 10, 11. They would just be like, Hey, like literally like, here's the key. Like, whatever option you can give me, like I'm about to walk away. Right. And that's like the exact opposite, of course, of the cycle that we're in right now. But that's how much things can change drastically from one kind of cycle to another. Let's take a quick break from the episode. To get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors, join our free private Facebook group. Just go to joincameroncoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there. That's why I say these techniques work better in certain market cycles. You can use them in, in all market cycles. And I've done lease options and seller financing throughout the, the decade. But yes, with a lot more probability of occurring in a, a stressed market with stressed sellers, which I believe we are headed for. You know, not today, but I think we're headed for it. And that's why I'm bringing this book out right now and why I think this uh, information is going to be a lot more prevalent going forward. Um, something that, that anyone, this, this comment is for sellers, but well, for buyers and for realtors, especially any realtor that's listening to this right now, you should be thinking, wait a second, am I going to get paid? How do I get my commission? If this isn't, a, if this is seller financing and it's not a full sale, that's one of the big things that I teach in this book is, is how to protect your commission as a realtor. And if you're a buyer coming into a creative offer, how to understand working with realtors and how do you work with realtors through creative financing? Because if you're a buyer, first thing the realtor's thinking is, hey, wait a second, am I getting paid? And the answer is yes, but you, you've got to use some techniques to, to protect your realtor. If the realtor doesn't understand the situation, doesn't understand seller financing or lease options, 
they're likely to say no or they're likely to run interference on the offer because they're going to be uh, confused and afraid they're not going to get their commission. Um, so, you know, and it's like I always, I always tell everybody, look, don't get the messenger killed. Uh, a realtor has a fiduciary responsibility to turn in your offer. They have no responsibility to recommend it. You have got to get the realtor on board with crafting the creative offer so that they champion that offer for you. You never want to just go to a realtor and say, oh, surprise, here's a a creative offer. Go turn this into your your, uh, seller because the seller hired you, the realtor, to to bring a sale, not to bring seller financing, not to bring a lease option. So it's very important that we work very closely with our realtors and that that you guys, the realtors, and if you're a seller or buyer listening to this, you you learn how to work with your realtors, protect their commission, bring them into the agreement, don't run up on them and just offer creative financing, you know, almost get permission to do it. Sit down and talk to the realtor and say, hey, is this a problem solving offer? Is this something your client would be interested in? And if the realtor says, no, my client's not interested, hey, if you're a buyer, then then stop. Better you keep that relationship with your realtor uh, then worry about a sale, you know, because they're the ones that are going to feed you on a regular basis. So commission is very, very important. And learning how to use these techniques with, with realtors is also equally important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm even thinking about a strategy. This is a little bit off uh, the topic slightly, but just, you know, an, an agent that I, I was uh, pretty friendly with when the market did turn. And what he was doing is is he was going around and he was getting a, a bunch of multifamily properties, just you know, two, three, four families under contract for one of his biggest investors. And that investor had the plan of holding them for a few years. Um, and then, you know, once the market stabilized, selling them. So what he did was he put listing agreements on all these for a future date, uh, which was like two or three years out. And I know not everybody has the luxury of doing this, but what he was kind of doing um, and people who are in my market will kind of know these price points and stuff like that. He was, you know, grabbing like a three family in East Boston, say for 400,000 for his investor, three or four years later, selling it for $700,000. So he doubled his commission that he actually would have earned by kind of like backending it. And that was just a way for him to use another kind of investing tool to make more money as an agent. Whereas like at that moment in time that his investor wasn't willing to pay him up front but they were willing to pay him kind of on the back end. Just, you know, again, another tool, just, you know, something to kind of think through. Absolutely. I've, uh, I've done all kind of creative stuff with, with my realtors. I've had realtors carry back an IOU. I've had realtors uh, take that commission in equity in the deal. Yeah. And there wasn't enough cash right there to write them a check. So I gave them equity. Well, um, we'll stop there for a second. I mean, yeah. thinking about like, again, <clears throat> you know, getting stuff done with no money. Right. Okay. So getting a, getting a, you know, you find a deal and this is just a, you know, how do you invest with no money? You find a deal, you bring into an investor that has cash and you get a piece of it. Right. And, and whatever that piece is, I mean, that's, that's a way for you to get into a deal without having any of your own money And, and you just being kind of the matchmaker. And because you control the deal, you know, you don't have to just take a commission on it. I mean, you could, you know, the the terms could be, hey, I'm going to get equity on this. And this is what the equity stake kind of looks like. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So. Not all those different things. Yeah. I even have a whole section in the book working with debt partners, equity partners. What's the difference between debt and equity? When do we use it? 
Sometimes even seller financing, even lease options, even some of this stuff isn't a no money down technique. I really don't like no money down concepts. And that's not what I'm teaching here because in some cases we do actually have to have some money. It just doesn't have to be your money. You know, maybe we can go out and find an equity partner, somebody with a little bit of cash. You're, you've got the, the brains, you've got the ability, you've got the know-how in real estate. Go find, uh, you know, maybe say a doctor or a lawyer or a high paid individual who doesn't have the time, the skill, and the ability to come out here and be the expert in real estate, leverage that, you know, and there you go. That's that, that value-creating proposition. Go find somebody that your value is the counter to their need, you know, and I've got lots of high net worth individuals that just don't want to do what I do. They don't have the time, the energy, the interest, and they know I'm the professional, and so they invest with me. They give me their money to go be successful with because they know that's what I do. And, and so again, remember, no money doesn't have to be, doesn't mean no money down. It just doesn't mean your money. It's a huge difference between not having money and not having access to money. Big, big, big difference. And that's just another concept that we talk about all the time, which I think agents kind of forget how valuable they can be in these transactions. Yeah. And again, you talked about, you know, an attorney, a doctor, like, I mean, you can name the professions kind of up and down. There's a lot of high paid people who know they should invest in real estate, but they don't know how to find a deal, underwrite a deal. They don't have time to look at deals. They don't have time to manage a construction project. I mean, if you're talking about a business owner that's very successful, they probably don't have a lot of time on their hands. You're talking about a doctor, probably pretty busy. So their, their problem for those people is the knowledge and the skills in order to get these deals done, not the money. Whereas you may have the opposite thing where, You've got the skills, you've got the knowledge, but you don't have the capital. So that's that's an example of a you know a win-win that happens all the time. I mean, I'm sure Bill, you could talk about you know the people who who you work with that are more capital partners. You could talk about the people that I work with. I mean, I could you know list them all out and say, hey, why does it make sense for this person? There's always a reason. I mean, I have people that were in real estate that don't want to do anything active anymore. They were super successful investors. Now they're in, you know, our area, we go to Florida, right? Like when we want to retire kind of. So they go to Florida, they relax and they, they don't want to be worrying about the day-to-day of this stuff, but they've got money and they know they still want to invest in real estate. There's, there's, a, there's more of those people than it's, it's actually scary how many of those people are out there. They've got all, I, I just had a conversation with one of our biggest lenders. You know, I'm the poorest guy. This guy's a wealthy guy. I'm the poorest guy in my community. And he's like, all these people, I talk to them all the time. You know, what do they invest in? They invest in the stock market. They don't even want to be in the stock market. They're just in it because they're in it. And we're talking about people that have, you know, $20 million plus net worth. They just don't feel like they have any other options. So that's where their money is today. Barrier to entry is what you're describing. And, and that's a reason that I really don't care for the stock market. Nothing wrong with the stock market and bonds and all this kind of garbage, but the barrier to entering that market is very low. And if you don't think so, just because the newspaper, what do you think happened with uh, with Reddit and the stocks and uh, um, the stocks that have blown up recently? That's that's people on the Robinhood app. That's people that that with five dollars in an account can get a trade online and start to control a stock, uh, GameStop. That's what I was trying to think of. You know, these are these are average investors wreaking complete havoc in a stock market simply because they had five dollars and an E-Trade account. You know what I'm saying? That the barrier to entry into the stock market is nothing. 
Yeah. At least in real estate, there's a higher barrier to entry, which keeps the market a little more on the stable side. Yeah, but there's a higher barrier to entry, which is also why the doctors and lawyers and the people like that don't feel that they have access to that market. Yeah, because it takes a lot more skill, a lot more time to actually find a real deal. You've got to underwrite. You've got to go out there and meet the real. It's not a, it's not a, an app on your phone. You just pick yeah. up and buy real estate on your phone. It's just not that way. And so good and bad. I mean, I think it's good because it keeps the market um, a little more level. And at the same time, it allows us to bring value to those high net worth individuals. All you got to do is get an education. All you got to do is, is go out and find deals, learn how to underwrite, learn how to look at deals. And by the way, it's all relatively free. You know, I mean, my book's less than 20 bucks, right? And you can go get all this information for pretty inexpensive. Now all you got to do is network. It's just networking. You can, you can do all of this for very, very little money. A lot of effort, a lot of, yep. a lot of elbow grease, mind you. It's not no work down. It just doesn't have to be a bunch of money down. Find your value, create your value, and then find someone who needs that value, trade. And then money really isn't the issue that people really think that it is. It's really not. It's, it's not an obstacle that should stop you from doing anything. Yeah, you said something to me in one of our coaching sessions, I think it was like two times ago, that okay. it's a, it's one of these nuggets that like something that that I, I picked up that I just keep thinking about. And you said, there's no such thing as passive income. And you said, yeah. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> interesting concept. And, and and so you said, right, like either, either the only passive income there is, is if you're putting your money into a deal and you're not thinking about it, right? right. But but there's this, this concept about past, you know, passive income you have to do a ton of work for in order to get a monthly check, right? right? So I think I think that's the part where if you're talking about people who just have money, that type of passive income where you have to put a ton of sweat equity in, that's the that's the the part that either they're incapable of doing, don't have the time to do, or sometimes it's just you're not confident enough, right? Like again, getting back to I know doctor is kind of the easy one to talk about, but like. You're a doctor, right? Do you have time to learn all of the nuances of real estate? And the other thing that you just mentioned um, is really talking about the barriers to entry. The further up you kind of go on, you know, the, the totem pole, the less barrier to entry, uh, the, the bigger the barrier to entry is. So right. you talk about like, okay, well, you know, somebody can get an FHA or a simple loan for like a two-family that they're going to live in. So the barrier to entry. And, and, and the price kind of increases that can go crazy on that are wilder because the barrier to entry is really low. Like you talked about the, the Robin Hood app and how people with five bucks can kind of, you know, take a, a, a stock to the moon. And it's similar, like if you're talking about small residential real estate. So you're talking about a two family, a three family, a four family, anything above a four, at least in my market is considered commercial financing. So the down payment amount changes. So that's why, like, you know, the stuff that I'm working on with Bill right now, like we're we're selling off a lot of our smaller rental property portfolio to go up the ladder because we we actually want that barrier to entry. Because once you get to that barrier of entry, now your competition is a little bit lower, even though there's always competition, no matter how kind of far up you go. Very much. Yeah. Um, but so what about um, lease options? How are you using those? Like what markets do those work in and what's the basic formula there? Yeah, basically a lease option or what we call a master lease option. If you're dealing with one unit, single family, things of that nature, it's a lease option. It's the same thing. We use the term master lease option when we're talking about apartments or multiple units. 
Um, so a match lease option would be like, Tom, if you, you've got a property, let's just say it's a, a 20 unit apartment complex, you want to uh, get rid of it for whatever reason, you know, I can't qualify to get the mortgage. What I would do is offer you a match lease option, which is two separate contracts. It's our lease and our option to purchase. So 10,000 foot view, what I'm going to do is I'm going to rent your entire apartment complex. I'm going to rent all 20 units from you with the right to sublet to the tenants. Mm-hmm. Now I'm effectively the landlord, effectively, you know, yep. so that means if you're a burned out landlord, I can take care of management. Now I can take care of uh, the cash flow. I'm collecting the cash flow. I'm taking care of operations, you know, all this sort of stuff. The idea there is that I'm going to do whatever it takes to bring that property back up to value. So I'm assuming this is some sort of distressed asset. Something's gone wrong with this property. Um, so I'm going to use the lease to go in and, and fix up the units. Maybe it's uh, management, bad operations, who knows? Then in the second document, because I wouldn't want to go do all this work for nothing and for no future value. So in the second document, the option to purchase, you and I are going to agree to a price. We're going to agree to a price today. And then we're going to agree how long it is that I have the right to buy your property at that price. Mm -hmm. So an exclusivity agreement for a certain amount of time is what it is. So let's just say, uh, you know, it's a million bucks, 20 units, and um, we're going to pick that price. And I've got three years in which to buy that property from you for a million bucks. So I'm going to go in and over the next two, three years, I'm going to do whatever work needs to be done, fix the property up, take care of it. And then hopefully I have pushed the value well over that million dollars you and I agreed to. Yeah. So now, now all of a sudden, boom, the property's worth two million bucks. But you and I still have the, the option, the purchase option at a million so I can go in now and, and buy the asset, you know, on that old value, exercise the option to purchase. One thing you have to understand is it's, it's still a new purchase. It is not a refinance. So don't think that you're going to put an option on Tom's property for a million bucks, make it worth two million bucks, and then go borrow 80% loan to value on the $2 million and, and get rich. It's not going to work like that because you're a renter. But what will happen is that your loan to value will be phenomenally good and it'll be easy for you to get a loan, you know, if, if the property is now worth two million bucks and you have a chance to buy it for one million. And who's to say you even close the deal? You can sell that contract, yeah, you could wholesale that. it, you could double close. I mean, there's a million different exit strategies that we can use in that kind of scenario. But that's roughly the concept of a, of a lease option. There's a lot of details to it, but um, you know, you're going to rent to own more or less. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rent it fix it up, do whatever needs to be done, and then exit that deal later on. You, the seller, get all your money when I exercise the option. Um, If you are a realtor and you're doing this, or if you're working with a realtor, what I recommend is that you write the realtor's commission into the option agreement. So you might need to give them a little taste of some cash flow or something like that up front. So let's say, Tom, you're my realtor, and I say, okay, uh, let's do this deal. Well, you're not going to get your full commission until I exercise my option to purchase. Mm-hmm. But I am going to take your commission and I'm going to put it into that agreement so that there's no way the seller can sell or I can buy that, that property without paying you that check someday in the future. Now, in the meantime, maybe I need to share in cash flow. Maybe I need to come cut your grass, wash your car. I don't know. Figure out something creative to get you interested in that deal. But that's roughly how we use lease options and how we'll use lease options with realtors and how you can definitely protect your commission in a lease option deal if you are a realtor. Yeah, so one thing I want to just interject with now is um, 
you know, for, for people who are listening, everyone who's listening is at a different level. Like some of you guys, you might be listening to me and Bill talking. You're like, oh, I get that. You can do a lease option, then you can assign the contract, or you can wholesale it, or you could do all these different things, right? And we're, we're throwing out some terminology. Um, here's the thing with all the stuff. You have to get educated. There's, there's, no, there's no way around getting educated unless, like Bill said to me, unless you just have capital and you want your capital to make capital. Even then, you should probably get educated. Probably should. <laughs> you probably should, but, but if, you, if you bump into somebody who can, who can manage your money well and they know what they're doing, you don't really have to do more than like cut the check and get a return. But when we're talking about like taking advantage of, of lease options or seller financing or something like that, you need to know like, how do you pitch this inside and out? Like, what is the value for the seller? What are you going to say to them? Why would they take it? What contract do you use? And so it's impossible within like a 45, 50, you know, hour long conversation for us to teach you how to do that. And even some of the strategies that, that Bill was saying, like, I've never done, you know, a master lease option. I just never have. So like, if I were to say, I want to use that tool in my business, what I'm going to do is, first of all, I'm going to buy Bill's book, <laughs> right? I mean, you know, not shameless plug, but for $20, like if you're going to do this, like I wouldn't personally just buy Bill's book. That would be like, Agreed. first. that would be like the first of a few things I'm going to do, right? Because you can't, uh, not that you can't use every tool, but like you kind of have to think about like what tools you need in your business to get you where you want to go. So I always talk about like, first step is like, hey, where do you want to be three, five, 10 years from now? Okay. Now that we know that, then what are the tools that you need to master so that you can get there? And um, it's interesting though, because the tool that you just talked about is a tool I could have used and I wish I used. Now, going back, all right, so this is again, a flashback to 2009, 10, 11. I remember walking into these three family houses in, in nice areas of Boston, but you know, people were, were in trouble at that point. And they would go in, I would go in and they, they would say, I met with a realtor. They told me I can't sell my house. I don't know what to do. I can't, you know, keep up with the tenants. I could literally, I'm not even joking. Whatever I propose, those people would have done. Right. So, so back then, one of the things that I would do is just a typical short sale. But what I could have done, which would have been much more profitable by like the, a magnitude of like 30 times, because I was making like five grand on a short sale as an agent. Had I put those, had I gotten an option on those, right? I could have managed the people in the building. I could have kept them cash flowing. And now I could have had that, that three family in East Boston that's worth a million for 350, you know? Market cycle. See, and that's yeah. my point. And that's understanding market cycles is paramount because exactly what you just pointed out, all you had to do was survive. You didn't have to, get, you didn't have to, to make a million bucks on cash flow. You didn't have to, all you had to do was solve that seller's problem, take possession of the asset, and just hang on to it for a little while and look how much money you would have made if you could have just owned that real estate for just a little bit longer than the recession. You know what I mean? Just get out of the recession. Well, I was doing the same thing. Uh, 08, 09, 10, 11, killing these things, seller financing everywhere. Why? Because there's no money to buy that stuff, because there's no debt. And that's what we were running through in those market cycles back there. Deals everywhere, just no money to buy them. Well, now there's money everywhere, no deals to buy. 
right? It reverses and the pendulum swings back and forth. And that's, I've been doing this long enough to tell you, we're coming up on another recession cycle where Tommy and I are going to be having the same conversation in two years going, man, there's, there's deals everywhere. There's seller financing everywhere. I don't even, I've, I've got too many of them to do. Yeah. We're going to go right back into that market cycle. And if you can get into some of these deals that are not junk real estate, that's the key. Just because you can do creative financing doesn't mean you should do creative financing. It's still got to be a good piece of real estate. Still got to be a decent property. But if for whatever reason, the seller is the, the issue, solve that seller's problem, spy technique, right? Get a hold of that asset, wait for said market to recover, cash check. That's the model. And so many people miss that wealth creation cycle because they just didn't have the techniques to solve problems. And they passed on deals. They made what they could, but they sure could have made a lot more money if they had other techniques to do it. And that's, the, that's, that's even just analyzing my own thing, right? Like I got under a bunch of assets. I could have got under five times more. In all seriousness, five times more. And you really, that, what was that? Will now. Give well, it I, will, I will now. But, but, but that's just the thing, right? You know, for everybody, you know, where they're at. And that would have taken me no money out of pocket. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. um. But yeah, I mean, there, there's just so much stuff here. But um, so how can the listeners not only, you know, find your book, buy your book, but um, how, if they have additional questions, what's the best way to kind of, you know, get information from you? Absolutely. Um, all right. So the book is on Amazon, Kindle, and Audible. So you can get the book pretty much anywhere there. Um, I have a master class that you can download. It goes way beyond the book if you really want to get a lot of uh of lecture time in that is at creativeapartmentdeals.com. So uh, you can really get the full spread of everything I do on creativeapartmentdeals.com. If you want to reach out to me personally, I am the chief operating officer of Broadwell Property Group. Um, so our website is broadwellpropertygroup.com. If you're an investor, we have a portal you can put in your information. We'd love to hear from you. And if you just want to talk to me directly, it's uh, bill at gobroadwell.com. Um, send me an email. Perfect. Yeah, I just went to uh, creativeapartmentdeals.com. And yep. again, you know, what I would say to, <laughs> to everybody is, you know, if, if these are tools that you want to utilize, you've, you've got to take continuous action towards getting better at them. They're not tools you need to use. Like if you, if you guys say, hey, I, I've got capital or I'm going to go about things a different way, that's fine. Uh, but if you are going to kind of go this route, you've got to get more educating and you even for myself, like in this particular subject, I definitely want to get more educated. And all of my information is, well, all of my work is about information, not motivation. I'm not here to tell you to get into real estate. I'm not here to tell you real estate's awesome and you're going to get rich. I, I don't really personally care what you go to, yeah. but if you're already motivated, if you've already decided that real estate is for you, then I bring the information. Again, there's no sales pitches and there's no rah-rah. It's not full of a bunch of stories and fluff and puff. It's, it's just straight techniques. Um, there are a ton of other gurus out there. Uh, they come on around midnight uh, and sell a course. If you need motivation, you can look them up. That's yeah. not me. Uh, not, it, not motivation information. But if you want the real techniques, I, I have those. All of my information has been uh, I've tested built a portfolio out of it. And I always say your true techniques are only passed on by those who survive. I'm still here. I made it through the downturn. I made it through those recessionary cycles. I'm looking forward to the next one, not because I'm going to survive, but because I'm going to thrive with these techniques. So if you're looking for some, uh, if you're looking to get into the business, this is a great way to kind of start getting in. And hey, if you're an old dog in here, I can still teach some new tricks. So uh, creative catch 
Amazon, Audible, and um, Kindle. Look it up. All right, Bill. I want to thank you for uh, joining us today. A pleasure as always. And uh, I'll be catching up with you probably later this week or next. Absolutely. Yeah, I look forward to it. Uh, thanks, thanks for having for me, Tom. My stuff. So <laughs> personally, we'll, we'll get those coaching calls. <laughs> yeah. All right, Bill. Thanks. All right. Take care. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Agent Investor, and especially thank you for sharing the show with other agents and reviewing the show on iTunes. Every time you share the show, you are potentially changing someone's life. To get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors, join our free private Facebook group. Just go to joincameroncoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there. And stay tuned for the next episode of Agent Investor.